You're listening to Breaking the Silence, a podcast by Reach 10, where we're creating a culture of courage, compassion, and connection to overcome the shame, silence, and fear that often surrounds topics such as sexuality and pornography. We're your hosts, Chriselle Simons and Creed Orm. Welcome back, listeners. We are so grateful, honored, excited, all of the words today to have the beautiful Real Croshaw with us. She is going to be breaking the silence with us on the question, how can I deal with other people's judgment if I decide to stay with a partner who's working on recovery from pornography or sexual addiction? I know that sounded like a really long question, but I'm so excited about this question because really, I think often it's our fear of what other people think that stop us from doing what we feel is right in our hearts. So that's what we're going to be discussing. And I'm so stoked to introduce you to Real because she is so incredible. She's the co-founder and vice president of SA Lifeline Foundation which we'll talk more about. She's also the author of a book titled, What Can I Do About Me? Healing from the Trauma of My Husband's Pornography and Sexual Addiction. She is an incredible speaker, has done so much good in the world, and I know her as an angel. And so without further ado, real, welcome to our podcast. Wow, Chriselle, thank you. That's one of the best introductions I think I've heard in all these years and very kind. You know, the question was, I I said to my husband, that is a very interesting question coming from a group of young people. It kind of took me by surprise, but it's a very real thing. It's a real problem. And you already opened that up. You answered it, Chriselle. It's all about fear. And I've had a mantra for years. If I base any decision on fear, it's always the wrong one. So stepping outside of fear, you know, we're going to talk a little bit about betrayal trauma. In betrayal trauma, when you're living with someone who has a porn or sexual addiction, you have trauma. It's different than living with an alcoholic or a drug addict. Sexual addiction is, even pornography addiction, gets to the very core of women because we are sexual beings. And it's not like he's going out and getting alcohol someplace. That's not that personal to me. But when I I know that my husband or I sense that he's going other places, instead of coming to me for that connection that I desire in my marriage as well, it is very traumatizing. That is betrayal trauma. Often it is surrounded by lies as well and, and trying to manipulate it. And Trying to overcome that fear with enough faith and confidence is a very challenging experience for women. And so I'm remembering years ago, we have spoken across the nation many times. We were speaking to a large group, oh, 300 or so. And a gentleman stood off to the side. A number of people were asking questions. And he stood off to the side and he waited to the very end. And he wasn't coming to ask my husband a question. He was coming to ask me. And he said, because we had told our whole story, which is long and difficult. And he said, do you totally trust your husband? And I I thought, this is a no win. This is a lose lose. If I say I totally do, after all that he told about our experience of 32 years of of the off and on betrayal and, and all that had happened, 
If I say I totally trust him, he's going to think I'm an idiot. And if I say that I don't trust him, he's going to think that I'm not very kind. I'm not very forgiving. So I'm going to lose no matter what I said. And thankfully, I had something reasonably good to say. I said, you know, he's working on being trustworthy. He's had to regain my trust by his behavior, not his talk, because I'd heard talk for decades about I'm doing better, I'm doing fine, don't worry, what's wrong with you if you're not trusting me? And I, I couldn't deal with that anymore because I couldn't trust it. And so I said, he's working on being trustworthy one day at a time. And I'm working on learning to trust. And that was all I could give. I couldn't say I totally trusted. It's almost like saying, I can guarantee that my marriage is going to work out forever. You know what? I can't guarantee that at all because there are two people in this relationship and we get to choose. He gets to choose. I get to choose. Thankfully, we've been choosing. Well, we've been choosing for 48 years. We just had our 48th anniversary. Miracles have not ceased, I'll tell you. Which is so <laughs> wonderful and beautiful. Congratulations. It's amazing. And, you know, I have had to learn that in my own recovery, what was really most important was my listening to that spiritual connection. That spiritual connection, whether people believe in one God or another, there has to be a spiritual connection in order to recover. And some find it in a different way. But 15 years ago, I had to listen to that. And I was pretty sure that my marriage was over 15 years ago. It had been, you know, 32 years of the ups and downs and the lies, and we're going to do better and all that. And then at that point, I did what we call in recovery and in life, surrender. That surrender was, I turned him and basically my life at that time over to God. And I couldn't worry about what other people thought in that moment. But at that moment, I thought, I will surrender to the God of my understanding because I tried everything else. I had tried absolutely everything therapists and just being loving and listening more and communicating more and reading more books and giving more <laughs> of everything. And it wasn't working. But I still had those moments after that day. And we had a, a separation during that time. This was after he was arrested that I just knew all I could trust in that moment was there was a power greater than me it was going to help me through this. And I did not know what that was going to look like. The day that our story became public, it was on Desert Media. It was in the newspaper. It was in a documentary right after General Conference. It was in church news. It was talked about everywhere. And many of our friends didn't know anything about what we'd been through. And one day I felt so overwhelmed by what's happened to my life. This is not the life that I really thought that I wanted or could have. And when I, I felt this overwhelming grief or wondering, what, what are people thinking, right? I think we all go there. Comparison is the thief of joy. And if I compare myself 
and my marriage to somebody else, or if I compare how I look, a comparison is a thief of joy. So if I'm comparing myself to the neighbors who I think looks like everything is grand, I'm going to always feel bad. Real, do you mind if I ask a question really quick? Sure. So you've talked about a couple of things. You talked about fear being one of the main reasons why that drives us to like worry about what other people think, but also this comparison thing. Do you think that those two things are related or are they different beasts? They're totally related. Mm -hmm. Fear of what other people think is fear of not being enough is comparison. And I think a lot of women compare, you know, I've talked to Stephen, do you, do guys compare? He's like, no, <laughs> I don't know if that's true, but for him, what? but I think for women, you know, we go around comparing ourselves in so many ways. Well, on that day, as like, really, couldn't I have had some other opportunity like digging wells in Africa that now that would be cool. <laughs> That'd be a cool thing to show up in the news. Thinking <laughs> yeah, wells and yeah, but this, who really wants to sign up for that? But that day, I walked out to the mailbox in front of our house. There were eight cards and letters that day from people who had seen that, many of them who hadn't seen us for decades, that said, thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for blessing my life. And I knew it was God's hand in my life. Just as as Creed just spoke earlier, we have to have the courage to do what we believe is the next right thing. And I'm so grateful that 15 years ago, I took it one day at a time. I watched my husband work with the tools of recovery. I didn't just listen. In fact, I I turned that off. It's like, I'm not going to listen to what he tells me so much because I'm going to watch. I'm going to feel. I'm going to trust my gut here. And if I feel like he's working this, then that's a good thing. And the way that I could do that was that I started working my own recovery, which is critical for women. If we have trauma, we must work recovery whether or not the marriage um, stays together. Because as I work my recovery, I become the kind of woman with strength that I believe God wants me to be and that I want to be. I think that what you just said is really interesting, profound, and beautiful. All, All three of those things. And that is that whether or not your marriage stayed together, you need to work on yourself and heal from this experience. And I think that that's really profound because whether you are dating someone or you have been married for six months or six years or 60 years or whatever, no matter where in the timeline this happens, you are going to need to process those emotions and process that experience. And I just really think that that's so beautiful that you you mentioned that. What does that healing look like? One of my favorite quotes I put in the back of my book in the last chapter, it talks about redeemed women of God have tender, merciful hearts, backbones of steel, and hands that are prepared for the fight. A backbone of steel is something that we as women must develop, especially if we've had betrayal to 
because we lose our, our confidence. We Sometimes we lose a feeling of self-worth. And so backbones has been critical. But the fight is not with my husband. The hands prepared for the fight is the fight against evil. It's the fight against those things that will tear families apart. That is what I strive to be. That's what healing looks like. It's not easy. Healing requires work. We started our own 12-step meetings seven years ago, and those women are recovering specifically from betrayal trauma. And it's free. Hopefully it goes in conjunction with their qualified therapy and the education that they get. But that has gives support to each other, but not just support, because we don't support our, each other in our victimness. I have been to some meetings that I felt supported as a victim. I am not a victim. And so learning how to come out of that fire as a phoenix, beautiful, more strengthened, more courageous. And our motto for SA Lifeline is recovering individuals, healing families. If we can recover individuals and then heal families, which is healing marriages, which is the goal, then you heal another generation and another generation because our 27 grandchildren will all know at some appropriate time, all of our teenage, you know, 13 and older know our story. Why? Because they need to know that recovery is possible, that change is always possible. There's always another chance and it requires work and they can see that in us. If that's all that we influenced that family, it would be worth it. My own recovery is critical, not just only for my own peace and serenity, but it's also for my family. And I believe that every woman who has the very difficult opportunity (laughs) to go through this can heal as she chooses to take the steps that it requires. But it's not a fast and easy experience. Thank you for sharing all of that. And I want to break down a little bit more of your experience when your story went public. Specifically, of course, when you know so many people now know about your personal life. These secrets that have been kept hidden and now it's out in the open. So I'm sure you had thoughts of, boy, like how are people going to look at me for sticking with this marriage and working on this with my husband? So I know that some of our listeners experience that as well. Of course, we, we choose to live with our spouses and and continue with our relationships, even though our partner is struggling with pornography. So would you say that the key point that happened for you then was just surrendering those fears of judgment Because no matter what, we're going to feel, oh, what are people going to think? Is it simply just surrendering it? Anything else? And how did you get to surrendering all of that? You know, surrender sounds like throw up the white flag and give up. Surrender actually is the the strongest thing that I can do, which is giving my will to God. That is a really difficult thing to do. And it's a very difficult thing for me because I'm the mom of seven kids, a bunch of grandkids, you know, paint the house, lay the sod. I can take care of this, right? 
it came to the point where I knew that I had done everything I knew in 32 years, in about the 20 years that I actually knew of my husband's behavior. I had worked really hard at this, and it had not changed a thing. You know, men experience shame over this, or women. I'm, I'm working with women with sexual addiction right now, too, and there's shame. But women who stay can experience shame also. And as women would say, and I was one of those women who would say, you know, 30 years ago, I was one of those women who would hear about somebody's situation. I go, I'd throw him out as fast as I could, you know, and truly I was one of those. And so I understand where that comes from. And so when it was my opportunity, it was like, really? Now I have to ask, what's the right thing just one day at a time? And our therapist at the very beginning said, you don't know what he's going to choose to do. So I'm going to suggest these things in case he does not choose to change and work recovery. And so knowing that was really important. And you know what? I know people are still looking at us going, are they seriously still together? Is she not very smart? I mean, I've said in presentations, I'm sure you think the elevator doesn't go to the top with me because nobody stays like that. Well, actually, a lot of people do. But now there are tools. We know they work. Even 15 years ago, there were fewer resources. We have seen these tools work over and over again if people are willing. But nobody can manufacture that willing heart in him or in her. But as I look now, you can say, oh, but there are people who seem to be smart <laughs> and they are staying together. They're working it out. Not only are they surviving, but they're thriving in this relationship. And that's what we all want to do in a marriage. We want to thrive. We want to become connected. And that's our goal. One therapist said to us years ago, the bar goes a lot higher in a marriage that has been through that. We understand that. The bar has raised a lot higher in our marriage. And after 48 years, we're still working at it one day at a time. But isn't everyone? My parents were married for like 67 years before my dad passed away. And they were still working at it. Hallelujah. We should all continue to work in our lives. And that's working in a relationship. I think that that is such a beautiful message of hope is it's, it's simply one day at a time. No matter where you're at in your relationship, no matter where you're at in your relationship with God, no matter where you're at with your relationship with yourself, it's one day at a time, one day at a time. And like, I can handle one day, you know? <laughs> that's all God gives us. Yeah. You know, nobody guarantees what is going to happen tomorrow. I finally had to do away with all of that and then hope that those things got done because I had to learn to live in the present. Be present. It is the gift. You know, I have that quote on my bedroom wall because it's really hard for me. I love your message of hope that you provide us. And just as a reminder, you know, we're always going to be working on our relationships for and on behalf of the relationship. It's never going to end. That's what relationships are all about. It's a coupling of two humans, two imperfect humans who are trying to live this thing that we call life. 
And that's the joy a part of it. That's the challenge a part of it. But I love also the hope that you provide knowing that and saying that you can still thrive in your relationship. It's not like you're just suffering through it or, you know, it's not like that. And for you, that was surrender that long time ago and continually working on that, working on it one day at a time. And that hope can keep us going. It can. And we're not the only ones, thankfully. (laughs) Our therapist years ago said three to five years actively working recovery. Then after that, it's maintenance. This addiction is cunning, baffling, and powerful. And if you don't continue to work, it'll hit you upside the head again. One of the things most important for us has been, we talk about education, qualified therapy, learning how to set boundaries and bottom lines for safety, and spiritual connection supported by SAL 12-step. SAL 12-step is specific to this addiction and betrayal trauma. And you can go to sal12step.org, find meetings. They're all free. And there are 50, I think, 56 weekly right now. And they reach across the world. The pandemic was, who knew, a great blessing to this work. Because people all over the world are now coming into those meetings and finding resources and help. And so SAL 12-step has been a great gift to us. We continue to work with sponsors. I have two sponsors, and I'm so grateful for the work and the help that those women give me, and then I give to other women. So that's a real blessing, we believe, in our lives and thousands of others. This is so beautiful. And we will link these incredible resources in the show notes on our website. We are so grateful for you, Real. I'm so grateful for your courage and for your faith and for your willingness to surrender to God. I am so inspired by you and grateful for your example. Thank you, Chriselle. Thank you, Creed. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to Breaking the Silence by Reach 10. Help us create a new culture of connection by sharing what you heard today with at least 10 people. Please help us reach more young adults by going to iTunes to rate and review our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reach 10 is a nonprofit. You can help support this podcast by donating on our website and following us on social media. We share these views to open the dialogue on these tough issues. We are not professionals. And the ideas shared on this podcast should not be taken as professional advice. The opinions and views that our hosts and guests share do not necessarily reflect the views of Reach 10. And we don't guarantee the accuracy of any statements you hear. Reach 10 is not responsible for your use of information heard on this podcast. We keep learning and invite you to join us as we build a more open, compassionate, and courageous culture.